0: You know, sometimes in life, really often in life, we need to just stop and take some inventory and even ask basic questions. Why are we doing this? I mean, there's things that we end up doing that we're not, we, we just do it. So, if I were to ask you today, why are you here this morning? You don't need to answer out loud, but... Some would say, well, it's the right thing to do. I mean, some have grown up and every Sunday in their life that they're at church. It's it's a habit. And it's a good habit. But some it might be. And some it might be, well, I didn't have a choice. I have to be here. It might be uh, a kid says, "I," they don't ask my opinion on going to church. I have to be here. Some, it might be I have to be here if I want to keep peace in my family because my husband or my wife wouldn't be happy or my dad wouldn't be happy. Even though I'm an adult now, they wouldn't be happy if I wasn't in church. Um, Some attend church to be entertained. That's probably not a high percentage here because we've we've not made this... uh, entertainment center, okay? But there are many churches that it is. It's a entertainment. Some are for that. Some some are just curious. What's going on? What is Pastor Wound up about this Sunday, you know? Um, who's there and who's not? And of course, some it's man, I I have a hunger for the word. And and it's pretty evident, um, when people are really thirsty for the word, there are, there are a number of things that are evident. Um, some, it's pretty evident as well that it's like I'm enduring this. Is this is this about over? Or um, you know, body language says says a lot. And unless you've ever been up in front of a crowd, you probably don't realize. But when when you're up in front of people, you can see a lot of things. And um, suffice that to say, okay? Some, it's to be be socially acceptable. And there could be many, many other reasons. But for you today, if you were to honestly, I want you to get in your mind, why am I here? And with what attitude and spirit... (coughs) Did I come today? And what was I expecting? What did I ask of God? Because the Bible says that in everything by prayer and supplication. So we should pray about church. Okay, God, I'm planning to go to church tomorrow morning. Saturday night you say this. Or this morning, Lord, we're going to church. I pray and what would you fill in the blank there? Um, you know, some would say, I pray that it'd be a full house, and, and some would pray, I pray that you'd really speak to this person's heart, but what would you, what did you pray? Or let me back up, did you pray about church today? We back up, did I pray about church? Then what did I pray about church? And we're reminded again, Jesus said, you have not because you ask not, if we don't pray about it, what what do we expect out of it? So um, today we're going to step back and take a look at what is the purpose of church? Why do we why do we do this? Um, there's there's times I ask that. There's many times Marilyn and I will say, why do we do this? Um, and yet it. It always has to come back to the Word of God. And, and I just, I just love the aspect that the church is God's idea. And when Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, Peter, that was not your thinking that did that. This was the Spirit of God that revealed it to you. And upon that statement, I will build My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it." And since that time, God has always had His remnant. He's always had local assemblies that have gathered together. He's always had believers that have carried on His work. Contrary to what many cults say, many cults say um, the church failed and died and then God gave us a revelation and we're the new church. Well, then that tells you that Matthew 16:18 is not true. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. But it's, it's fascinating when you think about it and look throughout history. I've said often, we as human beings have tried every means possible to kill the church. I'm not talking about the demons and forces of evil. Of course, they do. I'm talking... We as Christians have done just about everything you could think of to destroy God's work, and yet God says it's going it's to keep coming. I mean, there's scandals, there's hypocrisy, there's all of that. But I want us to step back and think about what is the purpose of church. Why do we do this? And, and we're not going to be able to give all the purposes. We could do a series on... On this, We have done series on it. But from Ephesians chapter 4, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And notice verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, <clears throat> some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And in verse 12, he mentions, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ... Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We'll just stop there. First off, he says he gave, and we'll look at this in a little bit, but he gave gifts, but he said it is for the purpose of the equipping of the saints. The first purpose of a church, a church is made up of believers. The first purpose of a church is to bring Christ-likeness equipping the saints to be like Christ. Jesus Christ is our model, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But it is to equip the saints to um, bring them to grow to be like Christ. So a person is saved. After they're saved, they follow the Lord in the waters of baptism and identify with a local assembly. And that local assembly is then to teach and preach and practice the Word of God and fellowship and minister one to another to build up the believers so that they then can go out into the world and effectively minister. And that's the second thing. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. <clears throat> so, a real test of a church is not how many people gather in a building on a certain day. A real test of the church is, are the people becoming more like Christ? And is that being transferred into the work of the ministry? Of carrying out the gospel, the Great Commission, the command to proclaim truth, to carry that out to people near and around the world. So, it's not just to come hear something. It's to equip us. It's to strengthen and build us up for the work of the ministry. For a purpose. And then he says, for the edification, the edifying of the body of Christ. <clears throat> so it's to bring likeness for the work of the ministry. And it's also to provide encouragement to fellow believers. Because... We are in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation and we live there and we work there and this world takes its toll on our souls. And God designed a church to provide nourishment, to provide encouragement, to provide strength in bearing one another's burdens so that we will be strengthened and built up to be able to go back into the world And carry out the ministry of pointing people to Jesus Christ. So it is. That's a ministry that is to go on, not just as we gather together, but daily. And then God designed the church. In chapter 3, we see in verse 10, He designed the church to show the manifold wisdom of God that it might be made known by the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places. Look down also at verse 20 of chapter 3. Now to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he says another purpose of this is of church is to show the power of God, to magnify the name of God, to show the infinite wisdom of God, that there would be glory in the church as we walk in His ways. And how does that come about? Look at chapter 4 and verse 15. We read this earlier. He says, "I, I don't want you to be swept away by every new doctrine that comes along but speaking the truth in love. All of these things are brought about by speaking the truth in love. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Before I, before I even was in the ministry, in studying the Bible, it was made known to me that Paul wrote First and Second Timothy to young Timothy to teach him How to be a pastor specifically he said how that you may know how things ought to be done in the church. And I thought, Man, I need I need to devour that. I need to saturate. If this was for Paul to Timothy, then I better find out this is man, this is pure truth right here. Well in First Timothy chapter three And notice verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. He says, I'm writing so you know how to behave in church, not the service, how you lead and conduct and what is a church. And he says, first of all, it is the pillar and the ground of truth. You want to know why truth has fallen on hard times in our nation? Because the pillar and ground of truth has deteriorated. Churches have left the Word of God. God designed a church to be the pillar that holds up and adorns truth. He designed it to be the foundation of a society. The foundation is the ground of truth. And the pillar is what holds up truth and manifests truth and adorns truth. So if if the church is to be the pillar and ground of truth, we must speak the truth. We must adorn the truth, meaning it's not enough to speak truth. Then it's like, I'm putting on this truth and this is what this truth looks like in real life. This is what Colossians 3 looks like in real life. If any man has awed against you, be forgiving, even as Christ forgave you. It's adorning. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. This is how it is. You're going out and you're filled with mercy, bowels of mercy, and kindness. When they're not kind to you, you're being kind to them. You, you adorn the truth. It's good that we memorize this, but it's when you go to the store and the clerk is ripping you off and has a bad attitude why they do it. The other day, we, Asa and I went into a grocery store to grab something and and they they had one clerk there. And so I thought, we'll just use the self check. okay? And and as we go to use the self check, everything's working along fine. But it rang up something at six ninety nine, and it was on sale for three ninety nine. Bag of Doritos, okay? Some of you are already wondering what's going. What was he getting? I am not paying six ninety nine for a bag of Doritos. I I can only eat them on special occasions and only a handful of them. But and and so, <clears throat> so we had to hit the button and call for the clerk. And when we hit the button, she goes. <laughs> i'm I'm not joking. it's a, I am not evangelistically speaking, all right? And she rolled her eyes and and I said, I'm sorry. We're just trying to help and 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 she came over and she's, you know, there's a way to punch buttons, and there's another way it's, and and um, anyway, long story short, we. Got everything, got the Doritos for three ninety nine. Even that's too much to pay for them, you know? I can't go where I was thinking of going there, okay? But <coughs> so on the way out, we said, thank you, appreciate your help, and uh, have a good day. Well, then there was a, a ray of hope for this gal, you know? She said, anyway, it was pleasant. I don't know what she said, you two or something, It wasn't, but I couldn't believe it. It was like, and I wanted to say some things, but (laughs) I knew that that is not adorning the truth. And God loves to put us in situations where truth can can grow, where truth can be seen. That's the purpose of a church, to adorn the truth and then to defend the truth. In in Sunday School Hour, we'll be talking about this defending the truth. It's not just saying truth, it's living it, and then it's saying, this is why we do what we do. It's defending the truth, and then it's propagating the truth. I I want others to know the truth, because look at the difference it's made in my life. What a blessing it is, what a peace it is, what a joy it is. So, That's some of the purposes of a church. But I want us to look today at gifts that God has given to the church. See, we sometimes, sometimes, most of the time, all of us as churches fall far short of showing the glory of God. And I I believe many times it's because we're ignoring the gifts that God has given us. And I just want to quickly mention these gifts. Number one, the Bible. <clears throat> Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here Paul again charging Timothy, I charge you therefore be before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine and he goes on and says they'll get teachers that tell them what they want to hear god has given us his standard his manual the word of god is the standard for this church it's not it's not some other standard this is the number 1 basic doctrine of of true Baptist churches is the Bible is our only rule for authority and practice. This is God's gift to the church. The Psalms tells us it is forever settled. It, is, it, it doesn't need added to or taken away. <clears throat> I was told a week ago <clears throat> a church here in, in southern Iowa <clears throat> voted to approve homosexuals and their lifestyle, and they're going in to change what the Bible says about it so it fits what they voted. Now, that's completely backwards, and that's completely what he's talking about in 2 Timothy 4. They'll heap to themselves teachers that tell them what they want to hear. There's, there's a lot of things in the Bible I don't want to hear, but it's truth. And he's given us his Word, and it has to be the standard. It has to be the basis why do we do what we do? It has to be based in Scripture. Secondly, He has given us His Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, without Scripture, you would not know about Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ, you have no church. If people are wrong on the deity of Christ, on, on the virgin birth of Christ, if they are wrong on Christ... There is no way their church can be right. And and it comes down to, to that. So He's given us Jesus Christ that He gives us life through His death, His burial, and His resurrection. We have spiritual life. We are then brought into fellowship with God. We have fellowship with others. And, and it is important for us to understand that the reason we're here today... From many different backgrounds, many different perspectives, the only common ground we have is Jesus Christ. And that is the ground. That is what makes a church. It's Jesus Christ and who He is and what He has done and how He is interceding for us. So He gave us the Bible. He gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. And turn to John chapter 16. He then... After he rose again from the dead, showed himself unto his disciples, he then spoke to the disciples. And notice if you'd look in John 16, and I'll begin reading in verse 5. But now, Jesus is speaking, I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So he says, The disciples were excited, he rose from the dead, and Jesus then drops the next bombshell. He says, I'm leaving, and you can't come where I'm going. And to them, it probably filled them with fear and distrust. And and he said, here's the reason. It is to your advantage that I'm leaving because when I leave, (coughs) I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that is a gift of God to every believer and a gift of God to the church because He is the one that convicts of sin, of righteousness, and in judgment. Look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, (coughs) the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. So, He says, the Holy Spirit not only convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but He is the one that guides us into truth. And, it says, when He has come, Verse 14, He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it unto you. The Spirit of God is a gift of God to believers, to the church, to guide us into truth, to empower us. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be talking more about this next Sunday morning, the, the gift of the Spirit. But the Spirit is always there to glorify Jesus Christ. The Spirit is not there to gain attention to Itself. It's not a spirit movement. It's to glorify Christ. So he gave the Bible. He gave Jesus Christ. He gave the Spirit. Now, those are all eternal. Those are all um, of the Godhead. But you notice back in Ephesians chapter 4, another gift that he gave to the church. Ephesians chapter 4. And it says that he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. He also gave pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. This is a gift of God. And and we don't have time to go into all the things and these aren't the only gifts that God has given. But I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Whoever wrote the letter of the book of Hebrews was inspired by God. We don't know exactly who wrote it. I tend to think Paul did, but I won't argue about that because I'm not, not sure on that. But whoever wrote it said in verse 7, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the Word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Notice verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and and be submissive, for they watch for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, he said, those that have spoken the Word of God to you, and they watch for your souls as those who must give an account to God. I take very, very serious... This aspect that I am going to answer to God for what I speak, how I live, and how I feed the flock of God. I take that very, very serious. And, and it is at times overwhelming that, that I have that responsibility. Christ is the head of the church. There's no question about that. But He has raised up pastors as under-shepherds. 1 Peter chapter 5 goes in goes into that. And this aspect of watching for your souls, all of that comes into why we do what we do. Uh, I'll talk more about that tonight. But ultimately, my goal is to see every one of you to stand before God and hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful. So that means... I need to properly feed and, and we need to make sure the ministry of the church properly feeds that we lead in, in ways. You know, it, it's, it's clearly evident that many people really don't think many of the aspects of church ministry are that important. You say, how do you say that? Well, they, they see Sunday morning service is important, but not Sunday school. Why? Because, well, look how many people are in here for Sunday school compared to now. And certainly, Wednesday isn't near as important, and Sunday night, yeah, that's give or take. So, if you had a family, and you have children, and they show up for breakfast, but they say, I don't like, you're serving kale salad at lunch, and I don't like that. It beats Brussels sprouts, I'll tell you that. So I'm, I'm, I don't like how you're serving it or when it's served or what you're serving, so I'm not showing up. And what are you having tonight? Oh, I don't like that. Salmon patties? Ooh, ah. And they come and say, we're not being fed. What's your response to them? You know what? You don't hear me talk about this much at all, And, and really... I have come through the years to say, you know what, God, I'm responsible for what I do and they're responsible for what they do and I don't chase people down. I don't browbeat them. If people want to grow, I'm happy to do whatever. If they want to sit like a bump on a pickle, you know what, I'm going to preach the Word and we're going to try to put things into their lives. If you want to show up to the studies, and hide your book under the table because you haven't opened it and done anything, that's your business. I feel sorry for you, but you know what? I want to have a clear conscience before God for saying, God, I believe we sought your mind in this, and this is what you led us to do, and this is what you led us to do, and, and I am not perfect by any means. If you only knew me as I know me, you would know In way more ways. You already know I'm not. And many of you have a a pretty good list of where I'm imperfect. And that's fine, but your list is way shorter than mine. But the thing is, I know someday I'm going to stand before God. And I'm not going to answer for what you've done. I'm going to answer for what I've done. And by God's grace and through your prayers, I seek to diligently watch for your souls. But you know what? I can't make you do anything. And that's God's plan. So, this is an aspect of a gift that He's given. Let me mention one more gift. He's given us the church. He's given people. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, He talks about it being a body. Knit together what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does it share? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn there just real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What God has given in the church is people. That's His gift. And some of the people, you might not like, but it's a gift God's given. And He has a purpose for it. And, And they're all different parts of the body. There's ligaments, there's tendons, there's cartilage and meniscus, there's hair follicles, there's ears and earlobes, and big toes and little toes, there's right hand and left hand. I mean, God's given them all. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, notice verse 20. We're just jumping in. But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And he goes on and said, the eye can't say, I have no need of the hand. If the whole body were an eye, can you imagine that? This, here comes Joe rolling in, you know, the eyeball rolling in. He said, or the hand can't say, I don't need the foot. We, we all need each other. And verse 25 of the same chapter, that there should be no division in the body, but the members should have the same care for one another. Can you imagine if our body did not have the same care one for another? I mean, so you hit your left thumb with your hammer from your right hand. And what happens when you do that? Your right hand goes, it it immediately comes to it. Oh, man. If our body acted like a church, the way many churches act, the right hand would say, you idiot, you should have seen that was coming. Cause and effect, this is why it happened, this is how to avoid it. No, it's coming with compassion. Yes, the thumb was in the wrong... But the left hand is saying, you just came out of the blue with that, man. It was a whoom. You're the one that's at fault. And you know what? In, in many church bodies, we're looking at what the other's fault is. Rather than God put them in the body for a reason, what can I learn from them? Admittedly, there, there are things about people that, that are harder to love than other things. And we all have those things. We all have things, but be merciful. Put on bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. See? See how it would fit right in a church body? And then he says in verse 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice in it. So, between these series today, we're stepping back and taking a look and saying, Okay, why am I here? What is the purpose of the church? And then specifically, I want to ask, what are you doing with God's gifts? Do you love God's word? Do you read it diligently? Do you let it rule your life? It's not enough that the church preaches the word. It it must be the people of the church, individuals loving God's word, reading it, studying it. Then secondly, what have you done with Jesus? First of all, have you accepted Him for the forgiveness of sins? But secondly, is He the master of your life? It's not just accept Him and then go do whatever I want to do. Is He really the master of your life? And thirdly, the gift of God's Spirit. Are you consciously dependent upon the Spirit of God for His power, for His direction to glorify God? Or are you depending on your own intellect, your own study, your own wisdom, your own power, your own energy, your own determination? It must be the Spirit. And then to ask, how is your relationship with leadership? How is your relationship? Is it welcoming the instruction and learning? Is it ignoring the instruction? Is it not being there for The program, as it's committed to growing, do you come to church looking for faults or looking for ways to serve? And then, are you willing to invest in and submit to all members? Or are there some you avoid? Some you despise? Boy, that sounds like a strong term, doesn't it? But you know what? sad to say that's true. How much do you even desire to be around others? if we love God, we'll love His people. We'll love His Word. We'll love His plan. And we'll love His purpose. Heavenly Father, our prayer is that we would be the type of church You want us to be. And Lord, we cannot do that through our own efforts or any special program. Lord, it must be through the power of Your Word, through us walking in obedience to Your Spirit. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to be committed to your ways and that then we would be a a beacon in this community, that we would, as individuals, make a difference in this community. So, Lord, we plead your mercies. I thank you for each one that is here today, and I pray that you would accomplish your purposes in our lives. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.